This is the Disability Law Show on the Bell Talk Radio Network. Good afternoon, Saturday, three minutes after one o'clock, ready to uh, to handle things. James Fireman is indeed courtesy San Firu to Mark and LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. You want to reach out to James before I give you the numbers to reach out here live now. It's uh, it's simple, right? One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Give James a call. He's got a great team as well. Help at disabilityrights.ca is the email address we're going to go through today and get to as many of uh, those questions on as possible. But here and now, you want to uh, to reach out and be part of the conversation. We'd love to get you on. Come on in. Water's warm. 416-872-1010. That's the phone number. Toll free. And uh, 71010. That is the text. If you prefer to text your questions over, we can get to some of those on air as well. But the emails and questions are already piling up, brother. You got, to, you got a bit of a case of the day or a week that was what do you got going on james well water's warm indeed it is scorching out there I and i was i know i was uh, out there for a couple hours watching my daughter play some soccer and wow it feels like mother nature realized summer's almost done and it's trying to make up for it in one shot wow um so listen um shenanigans as always with the insurance mm-hmm. companies but yeah. more so this week in a particular case that i'd like to discuss to get us rolling today So as you know, we aren't just a Toronto firm or an Ontario firm. We're national. I'm practicing in BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, all across Ontario. One particular case out in Alberta really caught my attention this week. This is a woman that had contacted me on behalf of a very good friend of hers. And we'll start with that. If you are out there and you have a loved one or a friend, that is involved in a disability dispute with an insurer, and you'd like to help out, get some information, you can do that. And you certainly don't need to reveal any identifying information. You can just call us and get some free information. Right. This particular lady was calling for a reason. She actually had to, and that'll make some sense in a minute or two. But what she told me was a story about this friend of hers who is a gentleman in his 40s. And he had been injured a couple of years ago while at work, which automatically, as soon as I hear that, I'm thinking, okay, that's, you know, workers' compensation. Yes. And for our listeners' benefit, if you're injured at work, even if you have an LTD policy, it's probably not going to make much of a difference because workers' compensation typically pays a higher amount than LTD. And even if you were approved for LTD, the workers' compensation amount would wipe out anything that you would get paid. And that's exactly what had happened. He had a back injury, was approved for workers' compensation at 90%. He was also approved for LTD, but because he was getting workers' compensation, there weren't any payments made. It wiped it out. And that was perfectly fine. No issues with that. But the LTD policy is still important for two reasons. One, there are usually some other benefits that come along with it. Typically, it is tied to a life insurance policy, as well as a waiver of premium. In other words, if you're approved for long-term disability, even if they're not paying benefits because you're getting some other benefits, you are still getting a waiver of the obligation to have to pay premiums for that life insurance. And you continue to maintain that life insurance, which is certainly a benefit. The other nice thing is if you get cut off of WCB, if you've already been approved for your long-term disability, even if they hadn't been paying, now with WCB pulling the plug, then there is your safety net in LPD, which is what it's supposed to be. All well and good. 
two-year mark comes up and the LTD insurer says, you're no longer disabled. Well, first of all, just on the basis of this workplace injury, WCB is continuing to make the payments. They're not taking any issue that he is still disabled from work strictly on the basis of his back injury. But what his friend told me about him is what really gave me pause because his disability isn't just the workplace injury to his back. He has had a long-standing deteriorating hearing problem, which now he is virtually deaf. And he also is blind in one eye and has lost most of the sight in his other eye. So this is someone who he's not going to be able to do any sedentary job. There's no question about that. There's no job he's going to be able to do. There's, it's just obvious there's nothing that he can do. And in terms of long-term disability, the cause doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's caused by work or not. It's a matter of whether or not you are disabled from your own occupation. And he was working as an animal tech, loading cages. It's a physical job. There's just no way that he is able to do that anymore. That's just obvious. But they cut him off, and the question is why? WCB is paying his benefits, and LTD isn't having to actually pay anything out of pocket. Why did they cut him off? Right. And the, my, my conclusion on this is, I, I think it's pretty straightforward. They cut him off because they figured there's no risk to them in doing it because what lawyer is going to take this case on? Lawyers work on a disability lawyers like myself. We work on a contingency fee basis which means we only get paid on, on a, the basis of what we recover, percentage of what we recover. Yep. And if they're not paying any benefits, then there's nothing to be paid on. So no gotcha. lawyer's gonna take that claim, right? Wrong. Yep. <laughs> Wrong. Yeah, sorry, but there's no way any lawyer at my firm is gonna hear that story and just say, oh, sorry, we can't help. Um, first of all, the exposure to punitive damages on this type of, uh, this type of a case is enormous because Really, it's just obvious the insurer is making a calculated decision to say, okay, well, even though we're not paying anything right now, we cut, cut this off. We you know, get out of, from under the possibility of having to pay the life insurance. And if the, w, if the workers' compensation gets cut off, we don't have to worry about that risk either. And there's no way that any lawyer is going to challenge it. And so it is just obviously a, a large insurance company taking a look and seeing a very vulnerable person who they assume isn't going to be able to take any steps to protect themselves. And that's absolutely wrong. So if you are listening and you have any kind of similar situation, whether it's exactly like this or not, and I hope it's not, I hope there aren't many more like this out there. But if you have a situation where you feel like you are being taken advantage of, where you're vulnerable and the insurance company is doing something because they think they can get away with it and you don't know who to turn to, that's what we're here for. That's what this radio show is for, and that is what we do on a day-to-day basis in our practice. Is it automatic, James, That, or is it is it, again, a creature of the policy that um, insurance companies always have that WCB clause in there, meaning that if you get WCB, whatever they're paying you, we get a credit for it. We don't have to pay you. Is that across the board from what you've seen? More or less. I mean, insurance policies are contracts, so they, in theory, can be written any way that you want to. And when you start getting into private policies, there can be some variance, but 
honestly, I, I can't recall seeing one that wouldn't have had an offset for WCB. Now, it isn't something I'm typically looking for because it's rare that I have someone who is getting WCB that winds up contacting me. So it's just not something that I spend a lot of time searching for, but I don't recall an instance of not seeing it, I'll put it that way. Again, phone calls during this hour. Talk to James. You can now live, 416-872-1010 or 71010. That's what we use to uh, refer to text. Want to get to uh, Elaine before we break here, at least part of Elaine's email. James says, hey, James, I was having really bad headaches and blurry vision about six months ago after being admitted to hospital for several days and undergoing a bunch of tests. Uh, let me get back to her email here. i got to zoom in. Um, I was told I have a hematoma in my brain. I've been off work ever since. The neurologist and ophthalmologist I've seen don't really have any treatment recommendations for me. I still have headaches and some dizziness when I look at uh, We might have just lost John there. Um, I still have a copy of the, the email itself. So this was from Elaine. Uh, and she goes on to say she still has headaches and dizziness when she looks at the screen too long. And she has a job where uh, she needs to be at a computer all day. She continues. I got short-term disability benefits. There you go, John. Um, so I was just continuing yeah. for you. Um, so she, I, I was reading Lane's email. I got to the part where she says I got short-term disability benefits, but I was denied by my insurance company for long-term. Why didn't you pick it up for a long that? time? Yeah, you bet, as long as I don't get smoked again. Uh, yeah, uh, They're saying, because I can drive and do my day-to-day activities, I can work. My doctor says I should stay off work until at least uh, the neurosurgeon in a few months for another opinion about my brain surgery can see me. Should I be fighting the insurance company for these benefits? What do you think? Hell yes. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're in a situation where, um, you know, even though, you know, Elaine's able to do some of her day-to-day activities, Clearly, she's got some significant symptoms right now. She's got headaches. She's got dizziness. She can't look at a screen too long. So she's not going to be able to do anything right now. And obviously, she's far from in the clear. She's talking to a neurosurgeon about brain surgery. So I I don't see this as being a difficult decision. It isn't brain surgery. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Except it is. Um, not to not to make light of Elaine's situation. I, I, I certainly apologize. That was probably bad taste. But um, you know, the reality is this is obvious. You know, this is someone who is clearly struggling right now and has very very serious issues that she has to deal with um, in the future. And the insurance company is just doing what they can to get out from under it. So absolutely, this is the case where. You should be fighting them um, for your benefits, and that starts by starting a legal claim. So that's something that we would absolutely be able to help with. We would get the claim issued within a week, and we would be at mediation likely by early next year. Elaine, appreciate the email. Very smart of you to reach out. You want to continue on, have that conversation with uh, with uh, James and the rest of his team. That's always good advice as well. one 821 5900 is how you do that. But for now, calling in for the remainder of this show, you have that option, 416-872-1010 or 71010 if you want to send a text along as well. And that email address that Elaine just used, open for you, help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll continue. Lots more of the Disability Law Show coming right up in the Bell Talk Radio Network. You're listening to the Disability Law Show on the Bell Talk Radio Network. 
It is 120. Welcome back to it. Some uh, some options for you to get a hold of James uh, for the remainder of this hour. You can always call in the show with your questions for yourself or on behalf of a, a colleague, family member, maybe a friend, 416-872-1010 or text if you prefer the quiet way. That is 71010 to reach us here. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Any other time for an email. And I'll give you another, uh, another place to ask questions anonymously with searchable database. Maybe your question's already in there. You can read it and be satisfied with that or leave your question at mydisabilityquestions.com and to reach James and his team 1-855-821-5900 a lot of people uh, James you know they pay or at least part of their benefit package with LTD among other things is through their employer so if someone's wondering should they if they're denied benefits should they ask their employer to help them get benefits approved by the insurance company they're kind of on their own in that regard what do you think yeah, no, I, the employer isn't going to be of much help to you. I mean, right. certainly there are things that they can do to make it a little bit easier, primarily just making sure that they submit their form. When you apply for long-term disability benefits, there are typically three forms that need to be included. There okay. is the statement by the injured person themselves, the medical statement, which is called an attending physician statement, your doctor fills that out, and then the employer statement. The employer statement is really just uh, listing the, the job itself, the duties involved, the physical requirements, so on and so forth. When they started working, last day of work, it's just a factual summary, so to speak. So absolutely, it's helpful for them to get that in on time. If they haven't submitted it, then it can mm-hmm. delay the adjudication process. But Beyond that, I don't think there is much of a role for your employer to be playing, nor should you be seeking them to do it. And where I've seen employers be um, more involved, I've actually seen it go the wrong way, unfortunately. Not intentionally. Um, Employers who I think were um, trying to do things in the best interest of their employees, uh, I've seen it actually blow up in their face. So one particular example I had a client who was denied benefits because when he went on medical leave, his employer had a policy that they would be issued ROEs, records of employment, which is required anytime you stop working, indicating the reason that they stopped working was because they were laid off. The reason why they did this is because mistakenly the uh, person who was doing the HR believed that this was going to be necessary for them to be able to get EI. Mm-hmm. So the employer is being a little dishonest with the federal government because they think it's going to put their employee in a better position to get benefits. So even though this guy was on medical leave, his ROE indicated that he was off because he was laid off by his employer. First of all, you know, you can get EI disability benefits while you're still employed, so it was entirely unnecessary for his employer to do that. But second of all, when the insurer saw this, the insurer said, well, okay, maybe you became disabled later, but by the time you stopped working, it was because you were laid off. This is what the employer says, and so you're no longer entitled to benefits at that point because you're not actively at work. And so they denied the claim. Understandable. I, I don't even blame the insurer for doing that. Now, subsequently, the employer said, oh, this isn't actually what happened. This is just our policy to help our employees get the EI. He actually did go on medical leave, and then they changed the ROE. And then the insurer still didn't pay. And that's when I got involved, of course. But getting back to your original question, should the employer help or should you ask your employer to help in any way? 
I don't think so. I don't think there's much to be gained from that. Um, I, in any case, even if your employer is vociferously saying that you are um, not able to work and that you're injured, your, your employer is presumably not a doctor. And so their opinion really doesn't matter much at the end of the day. Anyway. I want to get to, uh, to George's email here. It says, uh, hey, James, self-employed contractor here working construction. Been paying into a private disability insurance policy for years. I listen to the show every week. Thanks, George. And I've been wondering if it's worth paying the premium for my policy if I'm just going to end up getting the runaround by the insurance company if I make a disability claim. I think I have a lifetime benefit of $2,000 a month if I get sick and can't work. I'm curious what advice you have for people who have these kinds of policies. Thanks, pal. Well, I, I think it is worthwhile to to have disability insurance. I know if you're listening to this show, it can seem like there'd be absolutely no reason to get disability insurance and that it's all some big scam. I don't believe that to be the case. Obviously, when you know people call me for help or ask me if I can represent them against their insurer, it's because something has gone wrong. Right. It is not always the case that something goes wrong. There are certainly many cases out there where someone becomes disabled from work, goes on medical leave, applies for disability insurance, and gets approved, mm-hmm. and then gets better and goes back to work and has their benefits up until the time they return to work. That does happen. It does happen not infrequently. I'm not by any means suggesting that every single person who has disability insurance is going to get screwed over. It just so happens that there are more than enough that do to keep me very, very busy, as well as many of my competitors. Um, it's not something where there's a lack of work here. So it, it happens often, but that doesn't mean that there aren't plenty of other cases where it doesn't. And the reality is, even when it does happen, even when the insurance company doesn't do what they're supposed to be doing, that's why people like me are in business. That's what I'm here for. So in the event that they do try shenanigans. They do try and get out from under a valid claim um, in the future, George. They are still ultimately going to have to you know, make good on the policy. And obviously, having written us, you're aware that if something does go wrong, there is a place to turn. And that would be us. Let's kind of take it from a different angle then, as opposed to what George is acting or asking preemptively. Now, when someone's actually getting disability benefits, how often should they expect to hear from the insurance company? Is it, you know, radio silence until the, the cutoff period, or what do you think? Well, you know, that is really going to be dependent on the type of claim, the type of disability that they're talking about. So if you are someone who has suffered, you know, what you might consider uh, in a personal injury field, to be a catastrophic injury. Right, um, right. You know, if you have, if you become a paraplegic or a severe brain injury, um, you know, the insurer is going to want to have the initial medical documents. But beyond that, when you're suffering from a condition that is obviously severe, that is obviously something that cannot be treated, where you're never going to be able to go back to work, I wouldn't expect to hear anything from the insurer. Um, at most, maybe once a year for updates. Um, and then on the other hand, if, you ha- if you've been approved, but your disability is one that is likely to be more of a shorter-term disability and is something where you can be treated, where you can get better, then it's something where you can expect the insurer to be much more involved and to be asking for fr- frequent updates and to be more aggressive about trying to 
support a denial of your claim in the near future by having you assessed or going to a work hardening program or anything of that nature. There's also, you know, certainly going to be some variability depending on who the insurer is and who the claims handler is. Even within an insurance company, there's going to be, you know, different folks that are handling these claims and some of them are aggressive and some of them are less so. And to some extent, that's luck of the draw. And <laughs> even even in that context, there's a lot of turnover uh, with the claims handlers. So you might start with somebody who is uh, somewhat passive and who, you know, after the initial medical documents, isn't really looking to do much. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get an email from someone you've never heard of saying, hi, I'm your new claims handler. We need updated medicals in the next two weeks. And I'm sending you to this doctor for an assessment. And all of a sudden you're saying, what the heck is going on? So, you know, any of that is possible. I can't really tell you what you should expect because it all depends on your particular circumstances. Um, But if the the insurance company is being hyper-aggressive, if they are asking for more than is reasonable or more than what you think is reasonable, give us a call. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm happy to take a look at it. And if in the circumstances they are acting unreasonably, then it's something we might be able to help. Let's take a, a short break and back into more emails. And, uh, you know, James said, give us a call. You can do that anytime. The show's not on, by the way. one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. That's where we're going next with Charlie's email. Thank you, Charlie, for uh, for sending that in. We'll get to that after a short break as we continue the Disability Law Show. This is the Bell Talk Radio Network. This is the Bell Talk Radio Network, and you're listening to The Disability Law Show. Welcome back. A uh, Saturday afternoon. It's 1.35, so lots of time for you to chime in, ask your questions. You can do it on the phones, 416-872-1010, or text 71010 as well, and email help at disabilityrights.ca. If you go to the website, disabilityrights.ca, media tab, you'll catch links to our long-running TV show, of which James is part of every week as well. So you want to see a 30-minute version of basically what we do here. It's uh, kind of cool to tune into that as well. Okay, Charlie, email. Thank you so much, says uh, James. My mom is 55 and had a fall six months ago that is still being investigated. Her family doctor thinks she may have vertigo or something to do with her nerves. Her doctor put her off work while she waits to see a neurologist for further testing. Her disability claim was denied, though. The insurance company said there was insufficient information of a disabling condition. What does that mean? If her doctor says she can't work, is that not enough? Well, I would say it is, Charlie. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a treating doctor is in a position where they are going to have the best information, the best opportunity to be able to determine whether or not somebody is capable of being able to work. That's something that you're not going to be able to tell simply by looking at a medical file or, Mm -hmm. you know, having a consultant look at the medical file, which I doubt is something the insurer even bothered to do in this case. When the insurer says there's insufficient information of a disabling condition, that's sort of a catch-all. It's you know, vague language that doesn't necessarily have a particular meaning. All it's saying is that the insurer doesn't feel like you've done enough to convince them that you have a disability. That does not mean 
that were you to challenge them by bringing a legal claim, and if the case were to wind up in front of a judge, that a judge would agree with that, not at all. The reality is when you have the support of your treating primary care physician, as well as when you've been referred to specialists as um, Charlie's mother has, she's been referred to a neurologist. Um, it's, it would be very unusual for a judge to not accept that opinion and instead to uh, take the side of the insurance company or you know, even if there was a consultant doctor for the insurance company, that doctor almost certainly hasn't ever assessed Charlie's problem person, hasn't met her, hasn't done any tests, hasn't done an examination, wouldn't know what she looked like if, she, if, she, if they ran over her with their car. Hmm. So it's not something where you know it, it, it matters so much that the insurer says that it isn't enough. That doesn't mean that they're correct. What it does mean is that they are taking the position that they're not required to pay benefits. And if you want your mother to have those benefits, then she's going to have to bring a legal claim. They'll say, oh, well, if you don't agree with us, then you can appeal. They will always invite you to do an appeal whenever they do a denial like this. And uh, essentially all they're doing is they're trying to prevent you from contacting someone like me and bringing a legal one. Because when they when you do that, they no longer are able to do whatever they want. They're no longer able to simply ignore the opinion of the treating doctor and say it's not enough. They're now going to have to be reasonable because if they aren't, they know that at the end of the day, there's going to be a judge. And so, you know, they, they invite you to appeal because they want to avoid that. But the appeal is just false hope. All it's doing is getting your hopes up that somehow they're going to change their mind. But why would you expect them to change their mind? Insurance companies are a corporation. They are in business to make money. Fine. I don't have any problem with that. But you have to understand what their motivation is. Their motivation is profit-based, and insurance companies make profits by taking in more premiums and paying out less benefits. When they found a justification to cut off benefits or to deny benefits, changing their mind is very difficult. Is it impossible? No. There are situations where appeals have worked, but if you are going to appeal with the same information you know, perhaps with the addition of a plea from the from the doctor saying, how can you do this? She's really disabled. Don't expect them to change their mind. Unless you have new information that substantially changes the substance of the information that the insurance company has. There's a new diagnosis that says that your mother is um, you know, suffering from a particular condition and it is objective and it's something that hasn't been raised with the insurer before, then maybe it's worth giving a shot. But short of that, if you're going back at them with substantially the same information, don't expect them to give you a different result because they're not going to. All you're going to be doing is wasting your time. You're far better off starting a legal claim now than doing an appeal, waiting three, four, five months, maybe doing a second appeal, and realizing that you're not going to get where you need to go dealing directly with the insurance company. You need to start a legal claim. Better off starting it now and getting to resolution earlier. 
We talk about uh, quite often on the show, James, other benefits other than long-term disability. In fact, some that the uh, the long-term disability insurer will claim and uh, you need to uh, to get on top of. That would be CPP disability. Um, if you pay into that post, if you pay into that service, um, are there other benefits a disability claimant can access or should at least apply for other than CPP? Yeah, this is a really good question, John. And it's one that I hear when people are contacting me about the potential of starting a legal claim against their insurer. Because what I tell them is, you know, our timeline, you know, Sam Fierce Mark and our timeline is less than a year, typically around 10 months from the date that a retainer is signed. Our objective is to get to mediation and get the case resolved in about 10 months. 10 months is in litigation terms, lightning quick, but from our client's perspective, they're not getting, you know, they're not getting paid any benefits during that time and they're not making any income. So that's 10 months without any money coming in. And that's difficult. That is a burden for sure. And so that's why we are so, you know, so insistent on pushing the case forward as quickly as we can. But I get this question all the time. What, what do we do in the meantime? How do we keep our head above water? So the first answer, of course, is CPP disability. CPP disability is a federally uh, run program where if you have been paying into CPP, the Canada Pension Fund, and you become disabled from a severe and prolonged disability, that's a tougher test than LTD. But if you have a severe and prolonged disability and you apply for CPP disability, you should be approved and you can get up to 1400 and I think it's 1450 a month, depending on the extent of your contributions over the last six years. So that's number one. It usually takes a few months to process that. If you get approved, the good news is they will pay you retroactively, I think at least a year, maybe even longer. Hmm. So when you, you know, when you apply, if you are approved, that can actually be 10 to 15,000 as, you know, a big chunk of change that comes your way in approval, which is very nice. Certainly, I already talked about this in uh, the first or second segment, but there is EI disability that's available, of course. Um, for Ontario residents, there are other programs like ODSP. Mm-hmm. That can be uh, a little bit more difficult because it isn't based only on the extent of your disability. It's also uh, related to your your means. In other words, um, you know, if you um, have certain assets or investments where that would not be relevant for other programs, it is for ODSP because it is really meant to be support for disabled persons that don't have resources, but don't have other resources. Uh, Beyond that, those are really the the most obvious government programs. Beyond that, of course, you know, there is the possibility of asking friends or family if they can float you for a few months. It's something that people don't want to have to do but it's frankly a much better option than what I consider to be the absolute worst case scenario, which is a litigation loan. There are these litigation loans out there. There are these uh, companies that will say, if you are involved in litigation and you have the support of your lawyer, we can lend you some money. The problem is that when you look at what they're offering, they'll give you money that will float you but they're also going to ask you for what is borderline criminal interest rates. I mean, it's just below. They figure out you know, what is illegal and they shave it back by just a hair. And in addition to that, they charge you administrative expenses for just starting it and they require you usually to 
to, to pay at least one year's worth of interest compounded. So it makes it very, very difficult. And it's really always the absolute last yeah. thing that I want my clients to do. You know, there are situations where they have to, but really, it's uh, really, you should exhaust every other possibility. One more short break. We'll try to get another email or two in in the remaining time. But uh, you got some time as well to text 71010 or call us at 416-872-1010 with any other questions. And we'll continue with more of the Disability Law Show. This is the Bell Talk Radio Network. The Disability Law Show continues on the Bell Talk Radio Network. Sure does. A few minutes to go. One forty-nine Saturday afternoon to reach out to James when we are all done. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Even if it's for just a question you may see feel that's insignificant or otherwise, don't hesitate to call James and his team. Always willing to have that chat with you. Help at disabilityrights.ca is the email address. Uh, but again, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to reach out to James and his team. Min is our next email. James says, uh, James, I have a compression fracture in my back that is causing me pain and instability i've not been able to work because of this for the past year and a half i used to work as an assistant in a pharmacy and spend most of my days on my feet the insurance company accepted my short-term disability claim but ltd long-term denied i've appealed three times and i keep getting the same response we know what that is no do i have any options at this point so absolutely, man. The, the the option you have at this point, assuming that it hasn't been two years since your initial denial, is to bring a legal claim. Is you know we we start a lawsuit. We initially we we serve the claim on your insurer. Start the process, and typically within ten months, we're at mediation and we have a resolution. So there's a couple things in this email from Min that I do want to talk about, John. That. Uh, I bumped on a little bit. So first is that Min had short-term disability approved, and then the LTD claim was denied. And it sounds as though it's the same insurance company that is insuring both of them, or at the very least, the short-term disability was administered by the same insurance company that denied the LTD. I'm not 100% sure, but that's the way Min's email reads to me which is a particular situation that opens up an argument against the insurer because the reality is the test for short-term disability in a standard policy is going to be almost identical and in fact in substance it is identical to the test for long-term disability at least during the first two years and so if the insurance company has approved disability benefits during the SDD period, right up until the end of that period. And then the LTD starts immediately right after, which is in virtually all circumstances how it works, then there really isn't uh, any reasonable justification for an insurance company to say all of a sudden it's denied. I mean, what are they saying? That, you know, yesterday it was a disability under the policy, today it isn't, that it just happens to be that uh, you know, on that particular day, the the medical evidence changed. Assuming that there isn't new medical evidence that was received on that day, um, that makes almost no sense whatsoever. So, if it is the same insurance company 
they're in a difficult spot. Um, mm-hmm. The law is pretty clear that if an insurance company has approved benefits on one particular test, then if they deny or cut off the benefits while the test remains the same, they have the onus of proving what? It's going to be up to the insurance company to prove that Min is no longer disabled. So that's number one. The insurer is already in a bad spot, assuming it's the same insurance company. Number two, Min opted to appeal, and not just once, three times. Yeah. Uh, and, and i got to tell you, John, that's not so unusual. I, I've had people that have brought claims after having been denied three, four, five, even one time seven appeals. Oh, my God. Seven appeals. Believe it or not, those were all done within the two years. And I keep bringing up this two years because in Ontario, and in fact, as I understand, I think in every jurisdiction in Canada, there's a limitation period that would prevent you from bringing a legal claim if you tried to start it more than two years after the date you were initially advised by your insurance company that your benefits were going to be denied. Not the date that your benefits were actually stopped and not the date of any appeals. It is the date where your insurance company writes to you and says, we have decided that we are going to terminate or if it's at the beginning to deny the claim for long-term disability benefits. That's when the clock starts running. And so men in this particular case decided to appeal that. And I'm not going to give you a twofer. I already did my appeal rant in the last segment. So hopefully if you were listening, then you heard my thoughts, but the short version is don't do it. It's a waste of time. And so, you know, Min has unfortunately done that not just once, but three times. Uh, Hopefully that hasn't exhausted the, the two year limitation period. I don't think it has in this particular case and assuming that it has then absolutely we can help. We can start the claim. And the fact that the appeal has been denied won't have any impact other than dragging it out longer than it would have had to have been had men contacted us right away. Sometimes somebody who's on uh, on benefits is going to get a, a call or a, a notice from the insurance company saying, you know, we want you to be assessed by one of our doctors, our doctors, our team, or someone we're hiring. Should someone be worried about that? They're going to get cut off? Yeah. Yeah, um, you you should be. Uh, And and that doesn't mean that you you don't go. Unfortunately, you have to. When the insurance company, if they're paying you your benefits, um, or if they are in the process of adjudicating whether or not to pay your benefits, they have a right to have you assessed by their doctors. Now, you know, there, there are reasonable limits on that. They, If you have a cardiac condition, they can't send you to see a foot doctor. <laughs> that would be absurd. But as long as they're sending you to someone who has the requisite expertise to assess your particular disability, then you have to go. The reason why I say that you should be worried is because, you know, I I will say this as many times as I need to. Insurance companies are in business to make profits for their shareholders. That is why they are there. The way they make profits is by taking in more premiums, paying out less benefits, also by not spending money if they don't have to. And so if your insurance company is going to have you assessed by a, by a doctor, that's costing them money. 
if they are sending you to a doctor, they're going to have to pay that doctor, not just for the time to assess you, but then to write up a report that they can use, have in their file, and if necessary, rely on if you bring a lawsuit. And so that's going to cost the money. They're not going to spend that money unless they think that it is going to help them in the long run. And the only way it can help them in the long run is if it is something that gives them the ability to say, sorry, you're not disabled. We sent you to go see our expert, and our expert says that you are not disabled according to the policy. So does it mean for sure because you're going to be assessed that you're going to be cut off? No, no. But that is certainly the angle that the insurance company is banking on. What happens quite often, by the way, if the insurance company sends you to see an independent doctor, someone who is not on their regular payroll, I actually find that it's not uncommon that these doctors are reasonably fair and take their job seriously, not always, but often that is the case. They will take the job seriously and do a thorough job. And even though they may try and shade it a little bit to help the insurer, they're going to, you know, they're not going to ignore disabilities that are obviously there. But even so, insurance companies on getting these reports will not infrequently cherry pick the items in the report that help them and ignore the items where it's saying that you're likely disabled. So it is something that they will try and use against you. You need to be careful of it. But nonetheless, unfortunately, you do have to. But you shouldn't always worry, too. So we always tell you to, uh, to reach out to James and his team to give you a little uh, a little assurance. And your next steps, of course, anytime. How do you do that? Now that we're wrapping up for another day, one 821 5900 is that way to do it. Help at disabilityrights.ca is the email address we've been pulling from all afternoon. And for quick, short, uh, very plain speak memos on LTD, if you have questions, simply go to ltdfaq.ca. It's free. It's anonymous. Easy to use. Check that out as well. And we'll join you next time on the Disability Law Show on the Bell Talk Radio Network.